The following is special programming sponsored by Public Radio KUNV 91.5. The content of Soul to Soul does not reflect the views or opinions of 91.5 Jazz and More, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, or the Board of Regents of the Nevada System of Higher Education. This is Soul to Soul, universal ideas for a brighter tomorrow. This show is a free-for-all of positive energy that includes books, music, politics, books, food, COVID-19, oral interviews, more books, and Las Vegas history. So today my show is with one of the most renowned local historians in the city, Bob Stodall. You know Bob because he has done everything. Television, radio, everything, newspapers. And now he's here with me to talk about the Biltmore. So let me warn you first. When we quote today, we may use the words colored and Negro and other terms that referred to black people at one point. So I just want to prepare you for that. Bob, how are you today? I am great, and, and, and I like the fact that you uh, uh, referenced three times or, or four times in your introduction that this is about books. Uh, because there's a person we're going to talk about that should have a book written about him. Fantastic. And you know Bob is probably the person to write that book. So we're going to begin today, we're going to talk about the Biltmore, and we're going to start with the term, just discussing it lightly, the Mississippi of the West. A lot of you ask me about that term. So Bob, how do you explain that connection using that term for Las Vegas and for Nevada? How did it happen? You know, I, 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 may, I may get a bit emotional on some of these things, having researched this topic and having gone back to that period of time many, many times. We were talking about the 40s in, in, in Las Vegas. It was a period of time in Las Vegas where it was a massive amount of change was going on. It was the wartime. It was the end of the war. It was post-war. It was building that uh, uh, was being held back because of supplies, and all of a sudden, post-World War II, buildings are going up left and right, things like the Flamingo Hotel. It was also a time of change for the community. Up until uh, the beginning of that decade, the 1940s, most of the gambling and the hospitality industry was uh, run and owned by local people. That all changed by the mid 1940s. Uh, uh, it was a a large uh, number of of people came from Southern California: gamblers, investors, restaurateurs, uh, all kinds of people. There was also a, another influx, and this came from the South. There was a need for defense workers in Las Vegas, and and there were a couple of communities, uh, uh, African-American, black communities in the South, that supplied a lot of these workers in the early years, 1942-43, for, for Henderson. So up until that point, uh, the, the black community in Las Vegas was probably 
probably less than than a uh, thousand, maybe five hundred, six hundred of people, and all of a sudden, by the mid nineteen forties, it was closer to several thousand, and they were scattered from what was then basic turned to be in the community of Henderson, and also in in West Las Vegas. And there was a population, uh, a larger population in West Las Vegas, largely because that was where the culture was, the culture of the churches, the culture, the religion side, uh, the entertainment side, uh, the stores, the businesses um, uh, for, for the black population. And, and so when the jobs were, were eliminated because of the end of the, of the war and there was no need for the defense workers. Las Vegas, the, the West Side became the community where the African-American uh, felt comfortable and in some ways, in more ways than one, was forced to live. They just were not allowed to buy homes elsewhere in, 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 in the community or live uh, or, or eat uh, or, or, or gamble. Uh, uh, it was an island in the, in the, the West Side of, of the city of Las Vegas. And, and so with that came a great deal of a, a lack of investment by the city of Las Vegas in that community, streets and, and, and services, uh, whether they're electrical or, or, or water, all, all the, the essential things that, you would, that were being provided to the rest of the community. And, and out of that, it was clearly... Voices were saying, "Wait a minute! This is this is this is not right." The voices were here in Las Vegas, but were also heard outside of Las Vegas. And with that came the title, "The Mississippi of Las Vegas." Wonderful! I think that is a wonderful way to explain that. I get the question all the time, and I I admire that answer. Thank you. So, in 1942, we've just been in the war for about a year. During our uh, engagement in World War II, Bob Brooks built the Biltmore. So first, tell me something about the importance of the location that he purchased. Well, the, the Biltmore, the Nevada Biltmore, or the, uh, as it was, was on uh, the northeast corner of Maine and Bonanza. Now, today we would wonder why somebody would put a, a, a large resort, a casino, an entertainment facility at that spot. But in 1942, it was a major intersection. U.S. Highway 91 coming in from uh, uh, Salt Lake City came down Main Street and then made a, a left going east on Fremont Street. Fremont Street was a U.S. highway, but there was a second highway, and that was U.S. 93 that was coming down from Reno and Tonopah. It came down Bonanza, and it too, it, this one made a right turn onto Main Street and, and then a, a left on the, on the Fremont Street. In addition to that, the, the, the city's only bus line ran down Bonanza uh, uh, to the city and along Main Street, and there was a bus stop right there at, on the northeast corner. This was a major intersection between Fremont Street, and there was something new that was being built out north, and that was called the Las Vegas Army Gunnery School. This was a perfect spot for a, a, a casino, a resort, and a hotel. And right behind it had already started something called the Biltmore Bungalows, a residential area uh, that was, was being built. 
the key thing here that I want to think about is, is out of those four resorts, we had four different resorts. The first one was the El Rancho Vegas uh, out on US 91, built by somebody from California. The El Cortez, which opened up in, in November 7th of 1941 uh, down on, on East Fremont Street, uh, that was built by uh, Californians. A third place called the Nevada Biltmore, the one we're talking about, was built, as you say, by Bob Brooks, who had a major, major restaurant called the Seven Seas. It was located across the street from Grauman's Theater. And he put on what were called authentic Polynesian shows. And at that time, they, should, they could be considered authentic Polynesian shows because he brought in uh, uh, people from Hawaii and, 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 and got some, some uh, pats on the back for putting on an authentic show. But, of course, it was an entertainment show. So he came to Las Vegas, bought the property down on Main Street, uh, largely because there was room to build there. Same reason that you had the building on the Strip with the first, the El Rancho Vegas, and then uh, after the Biltmore was built, the last frontier was, was built out on US-91, all because of space. There was no space in the first couple of blocks of Fremont Street. Those were all old buildings that were, were converted and, and, and were retailed. They were hardware stores that were converted into casinos, etc. But no room for pools, no room for for all the things, you, amenities you would want in a, in a modern resort. And that's why also the El Cortez moved all the way down to 6th Street, so it had space. But Bob Brooks found this spot, perfect place, U.S. Uh, highway intersection between the, the, the Army Gunnery School and, and Fremont Street. So he built himself a Polynesian-themed restaurant uh, and, and casino and hotel, very upscale uh, f facility. So you have a postcard yeah. in your collection that shows a picture of it. Can you describe it? Well, it was, uh, if, if any of the Las Vegans were ever at, at Don the Beachcombers, uh, it, was, it was like that. Uh, uh, bamboo, uh, Polynesian, uh, uh, there was a, a signed surfboard there from uh, uh, the Duke of, from Hawaii. Uh, it was just a real Polynesian, uh, uh, something Las Vegas didn't have that was very, and he did, he knew how to do it, and he did it real well. So this was just the first owner. If your memory serves you right now, can you talk about a couple of those other owners? Well, as, as the war is coming to an end, Brooks, uh, who later moved to Las Vegas, realizes the investment is not not on North Main Street. The investment is out on the U.S. Highway. So he starts buying property out on U.S. Highway, becomes good friends with Mo Daylitz, opens up a couple of his own motels that are out there, and decides about 44, 45, it's time to sell. So he sold it, and then that person had it for a little while, and that person sold it to a band leader by the name of Horace Heights, a famous band leader in the United States, and, and Horace had it, uh, and over the period of time that he had it for a decade, he sold it, I think at last count, to least or sold it to eight different people. It just was, and they tried all kinds of different things. Uh, uh, they brought in a gentleman by the name of Frank Barbo, Barbaro, Barbaro, and he was a major player in Detroit. 
had a, a nightclub there for, for a long time. And when he, he bought the place, I'm using the word bought and leased kind of interchangeably because they just kept changing hands and foreclosing on each other. But he bought it, brought it in, in 1947, and he was bringing in entertainment, big names, and he announced that he was going to bring in Rochester. Wow. So uh, now, Eddie, Eddie Anderson. So I know who that is, but I bet you our listeners don't. Edward Anderson was an entertainer that started in, in vaudeville, had a group called the Three Aces, and he auditioned in Los Angeles for a radio show that was, was popular. It was called the Jack Benny Show. And Jack Benny uh, was up there in the ranks uh, with, with Bob Hope in the, in the 30s and 40s, one of the top comedians of the day. And they were uh, uh, looking for, to add to the staff and to change, uh, do some things. So they hired Eddie Anderson as was the, the, the top jobs for African-Americans in the entertainment field within the movie industry and radio. You had your choice. You could be a chauffeur. You could be a butler. You could be a valet. You could be a Pullman. Those were the jobs that were, were available uh, in the entertainment industry as far as radio and, 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 and film was goes. So he was hired as a Pullman. As a valet? A Pullman on on a train. Okay, that was uh, uh, and he connected with with the the, the Benny crowd uh, uh, during the uh, uh, the radio show, and it was a one time. He started to do it once. His his professional attitude uh, with that one appearance set well with the with the Benny uh, the Benny team. So they brought him back for another one, and he played a different role. But his gravelly voice and the way his timing and, and uh, other things about him, the audience loved him. And within a few months, he was now a full-time character. And within a few years, he was the number two guy. He was, was uh, uh, he still had, you know, still carried with him all those negative things that were attached to African-American personality uh, in the films and so forth. If you were, you were a chauffeur, you all, all of those things, but you also, you probably gambled too much and you probably drank too much. So, so Rochester had those elements. Now, they would evaporate out of his character as the, although he kept smoking the cigar, that was his, his, his signal. But, but by the mid to, to, to late 40s, the, the show had had changed how it was handling the Rochester character. But in the meantime, Rochester becomes very rich, not only because he is being paid a, 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 a salary in the $100,000 range, because he's a smart businessman. He makes wise investments. And and so he has this and he's got that and money is, 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 is coming in. And so he is on tour. Uh, during the summertime, when uh, when the Benny Show was in 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 in, in reruns, he's making appearances, and he is being mentioned by this new guy that owns the uh, uh, the Billboard that he is has booked Rochester and a big name, yes. big name. That was a big deal for 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 the Biltmore. Well, before 
that uh, that date appears, uh, uh, Barbaro uh, turns out he was here to get a divorce, and and then he didn't uh, make enough money at the Biltmore, and he's booted out, along with the idea that w- they were going to book big name entertainers. So Rochester didn't appear in 1947. Oh, okay. I didn't realize he did not appear. So now. The property is kind of in limbo, as it has been for a while. And they began to talk about operating it for the colored trade exclusively. Okay. You're you're uh, about a year ahead of yourself. Oh, sorry. So let okay. me, you, <laughs> okay. because in between, okay. in between Rochester in 1948 is booked at the, he's the second person to be booked into this brand new hotel, the Thunderbird. The first person is Nat King Cole. The second person is Rochester. And guess where two of them can't stay? They can't stay at the Thunderbird Hotel. Nat King Cole finds a motel and, and, and is able to, to do that and later cuts a deal with the, with the owner. But Rochester, well, we know where he stayed. He stayed at the Harrison House. How do we know he stayed at the Harrison House? because I found the newspaper article. <laughs> Mrs. Harrison mm-hmm. uh, uh, said, everybody here today is, is a great, happy family. The place was packed. There were two other musical groups uh, in, in, the, uh, in the Harrison house at the time, along with Arthur Simpkins and his wife. Oh, we all have dinner together. We have a great time. And we gossip about uh, uh, music and the, and the entertainment, said Mrs. Harrison. Well, let's back up here. And that is Rochester. Eddie Anderson has a mansion in California that was designed by Paul Revere Williams. And he has a pool in the backyard. And he has in the third floor, down the basement, but the third floor, uh, uh, he has a movie studio where he can show movies. And it's this massive uh, uh, place. And, And, of course, he has his own staff. And so he's used to that sort of living, not living at the Harrison House. So I'm, I'm thinking that's where a seed is, is, was, 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 was planted for, uh, for, for, by the end of the year in 48, there's already a buzz. Okay. A buzz that a black man is interested in buying the Biltmore Hotel. Right now, the Biltmore Hotel is owned by Lou Weiner, uh, Bugsy Siegel's uh, uh, attorney. Mm-hmm. B. Malon Brown, another well-known attorney, former justice of the peace, uh, uh, Jimmy Sills, who uh, had a, a drive-in a, a theater, excuse me, a drive-in a restaurant at Charleston and in Fremont, one of those big circular drive-ins where you drove up in your car and somebody came out and, and, and helped you, and Carla Menti, the, uh, a, a gambler, well-known, well-respected gambler. They bought the place. They, too, after six or seven months, says, uh, this is not working. <laughs> mm-hmm. Somewhere along the line, they got connected with Anderson. And, and in November, the end of November, two of them go to L.A. on a business trip, Amante and Stills. Within days after they come back, the rumor is around town that Anderson's going to buy the place. Well, they said, no, no, wait a minute. They, they, they put out a release. They said, no, 
But what they said no to was, and the quote was, nobody has provided us with a firm offer to buy the place. It is for sale, but nobody has given us a firm offer. That was the non-denial denial that it was Eddie Anderson. Uh, and so then things moved a little bit slower, a little back door behind the scenes. And, and that, now we're getting into where the uh, Lou Wiener and his group, they decide we're going to sell the place to somebody that is willing to sell it to Anderson. So why didn't he want to sell it to Anderson? That's, that question needs to be determined because you look at the history of Lou Wiener, you look at the history of, of Milan Brown. These two uh, were progressive in, yes. at, in, in, their, in, their, in their day and age, and, and their history doesn't, doesn't show uh, uh, hardcore signs of, of racism, just the opposite. But for some reason, they felt that they needed to sell it to somebody else who would sell it to, uh, uh, to, to Anderson, and, and that guy— a company was formed called the Texas Nevada Corporation, and a guy from Texas, uh, uh, Horace Snowden, bought the place, and and then he hired somebody, uh, a guy by the name of Hunter, and Hunter uh, was telling people he was going to open it up as a uh, as a Negro only uh, business, casino. Game, uh, hotels and, and so forth. So for the color trade exclusively? Yes, uh, uh, although I don't know if they ever got quite to the phrase exclusively uh, uh, because there was a, there's a line that, that, that Hunter said that he was still trying to hire an all-black uh, uh, staff. Um, and, and we're talking about, and it makes me get just a little irritated. We're talking about 36 days. It was open uh, 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 for, for, for black visitors, for the local population. But before those 36 days started, the city of Las Vegas, the mayor. And who was the mayor at the time, Bob? Uh, Ernie Cragen. Yes. Ernie Cragen also uh, owned the El Portal movie theater and uh, uh, selected a place where uh, the African-American moviegoer uh, had to sit. Uh, uh, that was over on the, uh, uh, as you're looking at the, at the stage, it's over on the, on, the right, on the right side in the back. So, uh, so Craigan already has a bit of a, uh, a, a reputation as, as not supportive of the black community, largely because he is not, moving forward with any improvements as we talked about before on streets and, and those kinds of things. And so the area, uh, which is one of the oldest in town, goes back to 1905, uh, uh, was in disrepair in many, in, in, in many ways. Then you had a gentleman that was on the city commission. His name was Reed Whipple. And Reed Whipple was the one that said, no, the, the Biltmore... Is not going to get get a gaming license. They're not going to get a liquor license. They they pulled it. They pulled it out of the out of the facility, and so uh, the neighborhood behind that uh, the Biltmore. There were several residents there that also said, "We don't want it. It's going to hurt the. If you turn this into a a, a black resort, uh, it's going to hurt our property values." A member of the Las Vegas City Commission, Wendell Bunker, agreed with them. 
Well, and at that time, in some cases, if you were too close to a black community, your house was, it could lose value. Well, that I think is 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 worthy of a whole nother another discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we are talking about a community where the African American man, woman, or child was not allowed in restaurants. Uh, uh, adults couldn't gamble on Fremont Street. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always going to be some unintended consequences with change. Uh, uh, but this was this was the city of Las Vegas putting up roadblocks. In the meantime, Anderson is still trying to work out a deal. And we have about three minutes. And and with the city of Las Vegas saying no gambling license, no liquor license, although they did allow the citizens to bring in their own liquor for uh, the restaurant was open. And for those 36 days that they, the Biltmore was open to African-American uh, visitors and, 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 and the locals, it's 36 days. Mm-hmm. It's a moment in our history that needs to be remembered. That, I, I agree. I agree. So quickly, tell me how the NAACP under Woodrow Wilson responded. Well, the NAACP was as he, was Woodrow Wilson as as the people in the Biltmore uh, several of the people not everybody in the Biltmore bungalows were opposed to it but but several people were opposed to it at the same time Woodrow Wilson who was head of the, the president of the NAACP at that time uh, he had a meeting uh, invited the mayor and the city council to come down to at the Second Baptist Church they didn't show up they did send a message saying if you want to meet come over to the city hall so. Woodrow Wilson said, okay, and 50 members of the community went over there, and, and, and he made a very passionate uh, 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 speech saying, no, this, this, this is not right, to the point that the mayor at least said publicly, we cannot stop different races from, uh, uh, from attending that, uh, uh, going to that hotel. But behind the scenes, of course, the, the thing, things were, di- were different. But it was Wilson... Who, who, and 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 the people with him, that that really put things in motion. And of course, he became uh, a, a state legislator and did did a as well respected in, in, in for what is the work he did. Bob, this is amazing. This is history that we don't know. So I really applaud all of the research that you've done around this. So I'm going to claim it. I'm going to also write about it and talk about it. <laughs> So thank you, thank you so much for coming to the program today. It, 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 I, I will tell you, it's been a, a very positive and emotional honor. Wonderful. So this is Soul to Soul, Sunday mornings at 8.30, the fourth Sunday of every month. Soul to Soul is universal ideas for a brighter tomorrow. It's a show about positive energy a show that talks about music and politics and books and food and books and Las Vegas history. Have a wonderful day. You've been listening to Special Programming, sponsored by Public Radio KUNV 91.5. The content of this program does not reflect the views or opinions of 91.5 Jazz and More, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, 
or the Board of Regents of the Nevada System of Higher Education. Thank you.